Part 2 Chapter 15 I'm so nervous I can hardly breathe, Pam said. Nothing to be nervous about, Clay said, slumped down in the passenger seat beside her, his knees on the dashboard, his eyes focused straight ahead on the red taillights of the traffic outside the window. You talk to Maywood today? Mickey asked from the back seat, clearing his throat, his voice sounding choked and scared. No, not today, Clay replied tensely. But I told you, it's all worked out. Every detail. We lucked out, too. The new video security system hasn't been hooked up yet. They were using some kid to set it up, and he blew it. The big Pontiac rolled to a stop at a traffic light. The front seat was suddenly flooded with light from a street lamp above the intersection. Pam glanced over at Clay, who was dressed in black denims and a black turtleneck. No coat, despite the temperature, in the 20s outside. We want to be able to move fast, he had explained as they were preparing for the robbery. Going over the plan one last time in Mickey's living room. Got to stay light, stay agile. Clay smiled as he talked. He really isn't nervous, Pam had realized, struggling to tie her sneakers with trembling hands. He's excited, terribly excited. He's eager. She wished she could have Clay's confidence. No. She wished she had never agreed to be in on this robbery in the first place. It was too frightening, too dangerous. Sure, Clay told them repeatedly that it wasn't a real robbery, that there was no danger, no risk, no chance of a slip-up. But how reliable was Clay? Going over to plan in Mickey's living room, Pam had wanted to disappear, run away, move into someone else's life till this was all over. Don't you have a darker sweater than that, Clay complained, taking in the butter-colored pullover Mickey was wearing. I'll check, Mickey said, hurrying to his room. He returned a few minutes later in a black t-shirt. Mr. Wakely was out. They had the house to themselves. I feel sick, Pam told Clay. Really, I do. His expression hardened. You just have to drive, he said, his steel-gray eyes narrowing as he studied her face. Now, here they were, half an hour later, a little past 11.30 on a Friday night, driving to Dalby's. The light changed to green. Pam pushed down on the gas, and the big old Pontiac rumbled forward. Well, man, not many cars on the road for a Friday night, Mickey said quietly from the back seat. We don't need a traffic report, Clay snapped. I feel really sick, Pam said. My whole body is shaking. Maybe you should pull over till you feel better, Mickey suggested. Just drive, Clay insisted. Concentrate on driving and you won't feel sick. Thanks, Doc, Pam said sarcastically. Clay groaned, plainly annoyed at both of them. Are you two wimps going to be any help or not? Come on, man, chill, Mickey said, reaching up to the front seat to pat Clay on the shoulder. We're fine, we're all fine, aren't we, Pam? A police, black and white, pulled up behind them. Slow down, Clay shouted to Pam, ducking low in the seat. I'm only going 35, Pam said, staring into the rearview mirror. The police car seemed to hesitate for a moment on their tail, then passed them on the left and sped on ahead. All three of them burst out laughing as the black and white moved out of sight, nervous, relieved laughter. Did my hair turn white? Pam asked. You were cool, Mickey congratulated her, flopping back against his seat. Man, you were cool. Now remember, we go to electronics first, Clay said, turning around in the seat to talk to Mickey. I remember, Mickey told him. We go to electronics first because it's furthest from the back door. We go to the furthest place first, then work our way back to the door. Right, score one for Mickey, Clay said dryly. I want to get one of those bomber jackets, Mickey said with enthusiasm. You know, the leather ones with the neat patches? Yeah, get one for me too, Pam said. Then without warning, she hit the brakes pulling the car to the curb across from an empty lot. Hey, Clay cried angrily. What are you doing? I can't do this, Pam said, gripping the steering wheel tightly with both hands, staring straight ahead through the dark windshield. 
Come on, Pam, Clay said, softening his tone a little, turning to face her. You just have to drive, remember? That's right, Mickey chimed in, leaning forward. You just sit in the car and wait for us, Pam, that's all. He stared at Clay as if seeking Clay's approval for what he had just said, but Clay was concentrating all of his attention on Pam. I don't think I can do that, Pam said, not meeting either of their eyes. Her hands began to ache. She loosened her grip on the wheel. I don't think I can just sit there and wait. I'll go crazy. I won't be able to take it. Well, what do you want? Clay asked, unable to hide his impatience. You want to come in with us? Pam considered it for a long moment. Yeah, she finally answered. Yeah, I guess so. She turned to Clay. I'll go in with you, but I won't take anything. Huh? I'll go in with you. I think I'll be less nervous that way, but I won't take anything. I'll just wait inside for you two. Okay, swell. Clay settled back in the seat. If it'll make you feel better. That way, if something goes wrong, Pam conjectured, I won't be sitting in the car all night, worried sick, wondering what happened. Nothing will go wrong, Clay said sharply. How many times have I got to tell you? Pam took her foot off the brake, and the big car started to roll forward again. To her surprise, she realized that Dobby's was only a few blocks away. The plan. Go over it once again, she said, her throat tightening, her entire body going cold. You know, since it's different now. Clay sighed noisily, acting out his exasperation. He really is treating Mickey and me horribly, Pam thought. After all, it's not like any of us are hardened criminals. It's only natural that we're scared. Maybe being angry at us is Clay's way of working off his nervousness, she decided. Look, the plan is exactly the same, even if you come into the store, Clay said exasperated. There are three loading docks in the back of the store. We leave the trunk down, but unlatched. Maywood said he'd have the loading dock open for us after eleven o'clock. We go in through that door, through the receiving room, along the employees' hall that leads to the main floor. We walk past all the perfume and cosmetics counters to the front of the first floor, up a few steps, then down a few steps, and into the electronics department. And Maywood is meeting us there? Mickey asked. Yeah, he's meeting us there. He'll help us carry some stuff. We take what we want. We get it back to the loading dock and shove it into the trunk. Then we tie Maywood up and make it look like we overpowered him or something. Then we drive slowly and safely to my place. And stash the stuff in your garage, Mickey finished the plan for him. Clay nodded. No sweat. No big deal. Pam turned sharply into the empty Dolby's parking lot. The glass and steel store loomed up ahead of them, brightly lit with red and green Christmas lights streaming six stories up as if the entire store had been gift-wrapped. Do you hear me? Clay was saying. Pam realized that he'd been talking to her, telling her something. Her fear had drowned out his words. Pull around there, he instructed, pointing. Not too fast. We want to draw attention for any cars on the street. Feeling numb all over, feeling as if someone else were driving the car, someone else were turning the wheel, someone else were guiding them through the empty lot and around to the back, Pam followed Clay's instructions. They rolled silently past the first concrete loading dock, then past the second. It was dark back there except for the solitary dim yellow lights, one over every door. Pam pulled the car up even with the third loading dock, shifted into park, and turned off the ignition. She peered out into the darkness. It was like being on the moon, she decided, the empty, silent employee's parking lot just beyond them, the darkened truck garage to her left, so dark and empty, it made her feel a little better. Who could ever find them back here on the moon? For some reason, her mom and dad flashed into her mind. They were home, watching some TV Christmas special when Pam had gone out. She told them she was going to the movies with some friends. Some movie. They were good parents, she decided. They were good to her. Proud of her. They even approved of Foxy. 
She reached for the door handle and thought about Foxy. Foxy would never believe she was doing this. He was such a nice person, such a kind person. It would be hard for Foxy to understand how you can hate a person so much that you'd even rob them to get back at them. That you could hate being poor so much, especially when the rest of your family was so rich. She had wanted to tell Foxy about the robbery. She'd even started to tell him a few nights before, but she stopped herself in time. He wouldn't understand. Pam wasn't sure that she understood. Taking a deep breath, she pushed the car door open and stepped out into the cold. The lights, Clay whispered loudly, tapping the car's broad hood to get her attention. Cut the lights. It took Pam a while to realize she had forgotten to switch off the headlights. She reached back into the car, her hand fumbling over the dashboard until she found the right button. It immediately grew much darker. Her two companions appeared as black shadows on black. Pam unlatched the trunk, making sure the lid stayed down. Her hand was shaking as she struggled to shove the keys into her jeans pocket. Then she followed the boys up the shallow concrete steps to the loading dock. As they stepped into the faint glow from the small yellow bulb above the loading dock door, their breath spooking up above their heads, Pam hesitated. Would the door be unlocked as promised? And then she saw it. Something gleamed in Clay's right hand. Clay, she whispered, even though there was no one around. He had one hand on the door, ready to turn the knob. Clay, she called a little louder, not sure he had heard her. He turned around as she moved past Mickey, who was shivering in his thin black t-shirt. Clay, what's that? Pam asked. Clay raised his right hand to reveal a small automatic pistol. Hey, man, Mickey cried, staring stonily at his friend. You didn't say anything about a gun? Come on, Clay. What do we need that for? Pam asked, her eyes fixed on the small pistol, unable to conceal her horror. You never know, Clay said softly. Then he started to pull open the door. Chapter 16 The door opened easily, and they each slipped into the dark receiving area. Silence. It's so quiet, Pam thought. I can hear the boys breathing. I can practically hear them thinking. Her eyes adjusted quickly to the dark. The receiving area, as she could see, was just a long empty space with a concrete floor, the place where cartons were stacked when they came off the trucks. She crept up beside Clay, who stood stiffly, the pistol down at his side. Didn't Maywood say he'd meet us here? she whispered. Clay shook his head. No, he said he'd leave the door unlocked. He'll meet us in electronics. He pulled her arm gently. Come on, let's move. I wish you put that gun away, she whispered, following him. He pretended not to hear her and continued walking quickly, taking long strides against the wide, empty area to the corridor. Pam hurried to keep up with him, glancing nervously back at Mickey, who lagged behind. They reached a narrow hallway, which was also dark. The hallway was used by store employees only. It led to the employees' lounge, the stock rooms, and beyond those, the main selling floor. Hey, wait up, Mickey called in a loud whisper. This way, Clay instructed, starting a slow jog down the corridor despite Mickey's plea. He stopped at the edge of the main floor. Several ceiling lights had been left on. The store was about half as bright as normal. Pam took a deep breath. The fragrances of a dozen different perfumes floated through the air. The store at night smelled sweet and stale at the same time. Across the vast room, the huge Christmas tree loomed, a towering, dark shape that rose up past the first of five balconies. Silence. All three of them stood at the entranceway, their eyes ranging over the width of the store. Nothing moved. No sign of anyone. The whole store is ours, Mickey proclaimed jubilantly. Wow! Clay turned back to him angrily. Don't celebrate yet. He held the pistol at his waist. But this is neat, Mickey exclaimed. Pam wished she could feel as excited. Her mouth felt dry, her throat tight. She expected someone to jump out at them at any moment. It's stifling in here, she thought, unzipping her coat. 
They turn off the air at night. We're breathing in this afternoon's air, leftover air. We're going to suffocate. I can't breathe! She scolded herself for starting to panic. It's too late for that now. You've come too far to panic now. Taking a deep breath and then another, she followed Clay and Mickey through the aisles of perfume and makeup counters, their sneakers squeaking softly on the hard floors. Silence. The silence is thick, Pam thought. I can feel it. Strange thoughts. But who could blame her? She stared up at the dark Christmas tree, then to the side of it to the balconies that overlooked them. Was someone standing on one of those balconies? Was there a security guard somewhere up there watching them make their way through the store? No, of course not. Maywood would have thought of that. Wouldn't he? Clay's voice interrupted her thoughts. Up the stairs, he whispered, pointing with the pistol. We go past Santa Land up there, then down another set of stairs, and we're in electronics. Wow, Mickey whispered just behind Pam. Someone was standing at the foot of the stairs. Pam gasped and held back, grabbing onto a glass counter, ready to back away, to run. But after a second of breath-stopping fright, she realized it wasn't a person, but a mannequin. Behind her, Mickey let out a high-pitched giggle. He must have been frightened by the same mannequin. They hurried up the low stairway, crossed the Santa area with his fake snow, its wooden, toy-laden sleigh complete with a single stuffed reindeer, and a tall, jutting barber pole labeled North Pole. Then down another low stairway into the large electronics department. We don't need Santa Claus, man, Mickey exclaimed, brushing ahead of Pam and Clay, picking up the first VCR he found. Clay scowled. He and Pam approached more cautiously. Pam's eyes searched the area from the wall of TVs on one side, past the CDs and stereos to the cordless telephones, and the video game players on the other. No one there. Silence. The only sound was the crackling of a faulty ceiling light above her head. Where's Maywood? Pam whispered nervously, grasping Clay's sleeve. He shrugged. We can't stand around and wait for him, he said, his gray eyes hard and steady. Let's get busy here. Mickey had already picked up two cartons from behind the display shelf. Hey, Clay, he called. What do I do with these VCRs? Clay uttered a low cry and slapped his own forehead. I'm an idiot, he said. We should have brought big bags or something to carry stuff in. Why didn't I think of it? The boys were talking too loudly, Pam thought, feeling her muscles tighten. Every sound they made frightened her more. She felt as if she were wearing her nerves outside her body. The crackling of the overhead light was driving her crazy. Mickey and Clay seemed to have forgotten about her entirely. They were huddled together, trying to solve the problem of how to carry the stuff they stole. Clay kept cursing himself out, telling himself how stupid he was for messing up this detail in the plan. Hey, I know, man. Maybe we can make several trips, Mickey suggested, still holding the two VCR cartons. Yeah, of course, Clay replied, somewhat cheered. We're in no hurry, right? We've got all the time in the world. We can take all night, make as many trips as we want. Yeah, Mickey agreed happily. Okay, let's pile up the stuff, Clay said with renewed enthusiasm. As much as we can fit into Pam's car. Pam looked behind her, searching the long aisles, then stared back at the wall of TVs, dark and silent. I should be home watching TV, she thought. Home, safe and sound with my parents. Watching the Grinch or something. Oh, she cried out as she heard a sound. Clay and Mickey froze in the aisle in front of her, staring back at her. Did you hear that? Pam cried. She turned toward the sound. It seemed to have come from a small office to the right of the TVs. Hear what? Clay asked, irritated. A noise. Like someone dropped something, Pam managed to say, still staring at the office. I didn't hear anything, Mickey said. But it was loud, she insisted. Clay, the pistol raised, followed the direction of her gaze. It came from over there. That office, she said, holding on tightly to a countertop. All three of them listened. Silence now. That office is completely dark, Clay said, eyeing her suspiciously. 
"'So?' she cried. "'So don't scare us again,' he warned coldly. "'Listen, I didn't make it up,' Pam insisted. "'If you're not going to help, at least don't mess us up,' Clay told her, pulling out a carton of Walkmans. "'Well, can't you hurry it up?' Pam asked anxiously, her voice so high-pitched she didn't recognize it. Clay didn't reply. He only glared. She glanced back at the office. It was completely dark, as Clay had said. She listened hard, but heard only Mickey and Clay pulling out CD players and the annoying crackling of the ceiling light. When she turned back to her companions, she saw the blue-uniformed security guard. He was very tall and tremendously overweight, Pam saw, with a beer belly hanging over his uniform pants. He was walking slowly, cautiously up the aisle behind Clay and Mickey. He had one hand resting on top of his gun holster. Pam opened her mouth to warn her companions, but no sound came out. She could only point. Her fear began to ebb when she realized the intruder must be Maywood. The guard stopped a few display cases behind Clay and Mickey. Despite his size, he had a baby face with big blue eyes and a stub of a nose. Hello, folks, he yelled cheerily. Can I help you select anything? Both boys cried out in surprise and spun around. Mickey dropped the carton he was holding. It hit the floor at his feet with a loud crash. Hey, Clay's mouth dropped open. Why does Clay look confused, Pam wondered, her fear beginning to mount again. You're not Maywood, Clay exclaimed. Where's Maywood? The guard's expression turned hard. Don't move. Don't talk, he warned. But Maywood, Clay started. I mean it, the guard bellowed, his large belly rising up as he screamed. Any talking, I'll do it, hear? Mickey, all the color drained from his face, stared in disbelief at Clay. Pam, still leaning against the display case, felt her legs go weak. Her throat tightened. I can't breathe, she thought. I'm too frightened to breathe. This wasn't supposed to happen. Clay promised us nothing could go wrong. Put your hands in the air, the guard instructed, one hand gesturing, the other still on top of his holster. Put them high above your heads and keep them there. Obediently raising her hands, Pam saw Mickey do the same, but Clay hesitated. Listen, he called to the guard. Raise them, the guard bellowed, now! Staring hard into the guard's unblinking eyes, Clay made no move to raise his hands. Maywood told us, Clay started. Raise them, the guard insisted. Save your stories for the police. Without warning, he lumbered forward quickly, leaned down, and pressed a button hidden under a display counter. A deafening alarm bell blared through the store. Run, Clay shouted. Without thinking, Pam started to run up the aisle, running blindly and breathlessly, the displays and mannequins a dim blur beside her. She could hear Mickey a few yards behind her, hear his sneakers squeaking rapidly over the floor. She could hear the guard yelling, calling to them. At the low step, she turned and looked back, and saw Clay facing the guard, his pistol raised. Clay, no, Pam cried. No, please no, she pleaded silently. The guard, his baby face wide-eyed, startled, pulled his gun from its holster. A gunshot. The sound cut right through Pam. She pressed her open hands over her face, afraid to look, afraid to cry out, afraid to stay, afraid to run. Clay, no, Mickey shrieked from right beside her. Pam watched the guard go down, clutching his bloodied chest, falling like a heavy sack of flour. And now Clay, still holding the pistol, his face twisted in horror, was running, running to catch up with Pam and Mickey. The alarm roared in her ears. It seemed to get louder, louder, until it felt as if it were coming from inside her head. And she thought her head would explode, explode from the sound, from what she had just seen. And then the silence would return, the cool, soft silence. But no. Clay called up to them, pushed them both, forced them to start moving again, up the low steps, past the North Pole, past Santa's gilded throne. Goodbye, Santa Land. Goodbye, Christmas. Goodbye, childhood. Forever. We're criminals now. Clay shot the guard. And now we're running, running, running. Pam couldn't control her thoughts. Everything was out of control now. 
They pounded over the floor, through the aisles of sweet-smelling perfumes, past the smartly dressed mannequins. Goodbye. Goodbye to everything sweet-smelling and good. And still the alarm shrieked, followed them, staying with them, behind them, ahead of them as they ran, through the narrow employee's corridor, then through the empty darkness of the receiving area. The sirens surrounded them, captured them, held them. Pam saw the gray door up ahead, the door that led out and away, the door that led to the dark, cool night, the silent night. She reached it first, pushed hard, and the door swung open. Out onto the loading dock, the cold air rushing at her face. Mickey and Clay were right behind her, gasping mouthfuls, their chests heaving as they struggled to breathe. And still the roaring siren followed her, even louder out there. Got to get away. Got to drive away. Got to go. Hey! Mickey saw it first. Then Pam. My car! She cried. It's gone! Chapter 17 Trapped who could have taken the car? No time to think about it. Over the maddening wail of the alarm, Pam could hear the rise and fall of other sirens, police sirens, growing louder, coming closer. We've got to get out of here, she cried, and then she saw the car. It was right where she'd parked it at the loading dock to her right. We came out the wrong door, Clay realized. They had burst out onto the middle loading dock. Now, without hesitating, Pam jumped down, landing hard on the asphalt drive, and hurtled toward the car. As she ran, Pam pulled the keys from her coat pocket. All three of them reached the car at the same time, their breath puffing above them, steaming in white against the night sky, the sirens wailing. Clay slammed his fist on the trunk top, latching it. It's empty, Pam found herself thinking. All that fear, all that worry, all that blood, and the trunk is empty. Pam slid behind the wheel and slammed the door shut. The sirens followed her inside the car. Clay and Mickey piled in, resuming their places. The car sputtered, then started on the second try. Pam floored the gas pedal and the big car squealed away, through the empty employee's parking lot, lurching over traffic bumps, then back onto Division Street, through a yellow light about to turn red, and away. Away, away, away. Two police black and whites, their sirens crying out, past them going the other way. In the rearview mirror, Pam watched them turn and pull into Dalby's parking lot. In a few minutes, they would find the guard, lying in his own blood. And then what? The dark stores gave way to dark houses. The streets whirled by silently. Silent at last. Silent again. None of them spoke. What was there to say? Somehow, Pam drove them home. Somehow, Pam drove herself home. The next morning, she woke up in her clothes, the bed sheets and blankets in a tangled heap on the floor beside the bed. It was all a dream, she told herself. What a nightmare. But then, why was she still dressed in the same clothes as in the dream? And why had she slept so fitfully? And why was the dream so fresh, so vivid, so real in her mind? Because, Pam knew, it wasn't a dream. It had all really happened. Yawning and rubbing her eyes, she bent to pull the bedclothes up off the floor, then glanced at the clock, 9.45, Saturday morning. She stood up, stretched, thought about changing into a fresh outfit, then decided against it. How could she face her parents this morning? She had the feeling that they would know, that they would know everything that had happened just by looking at her, by peering into her eyes. She thought of Foxy. He would know, too. Everyone would know. Her life was ruined. She slumped into the bathroom, brushed her hair and her teeth. Then, feeling as if she hadn't slept, still hearing the insistent wail of the store alarm in the back of her mind, she descended the stairs and walked into the kitchen to face her parents. The radio droned low in the background. Breakfast dishes were still on the table, but her parents were nowhere to be seen. At her usual place at the table, Pam found a hastily scribbled note in her mother's handwriting. The note read, your father still insists on paneling the den. I've gone with him to the lumber store, so he doesn't pick out anything too ghastly. Back soon. Love, Mom. 
Pam felt relieved and disappointed at the same time. She didn't want to face her mom and dad this morning, but she didn't feel like being alone either. There were cereal boxes on the table, but Pam knew she couldn't eat anything. Her mouth felt dry as cotton. She poured herself a glass of orange juice and drank it down, pulp and all. She was about to go back up to her room when the voice on the radio caught her attention. A break-in at Dalby's apartment store on Division Street last night, Pam heard. She lunged for the radio, banging her knee against the counter, and turned up the volume. Ed Javers, a veteran security guard, was fatally shot, the announcer reported. The burglars got away with $25,000 from a main floor office safe. Shadyside police have assigned four men to the case. I'll have today's Tri-City weather forecast in a moment. Her forehead throbbing, Pam clicked off the radio. Her head lowered. She stood grasping the counter, trying to catch her breath. Fatally shot. The guard was fatally shot killed, and $25,000 in cash taken from a main floor office safe. This is impossible, Pam thought. This didn't happen. The guard was killed and $25,000 was stolen? But how could that be? She pushed herself away from the counter, slumped into the chair at the table, and buried her head in her hands. Got to think, got to think, got to think about this clearly. But her thoughts spun wildly, whirling, whirling to the wail of the alarm siren. Clay is a murderer. He killed the guard. I saw him. I saw him shoot the guard. And then, no, we didn't open the safe. We didn't take any money. We didn't take anything at all. This story is wrong. All wrong. It has to be wrong. Without realizing what she was doing, she had gotten up, walked over to the wall phone by the kitchen door, and was punching in Clay's number. He picked up after the first ring. Clay, Pam said, did you hear the radio? Yeah, came the reply. His voice sounded hoarse, weary. It's wrong. It's all wrong, Pam shrieked, unable to contain her panic. Tell me about it, Clay said quietly. My gun wasn't loaded. Huh? Clay's words didn't make any sense to her. I'm losing it, Pam thought. I'm totally losing it. My gun wasn't loaded, Clay repeated. I just carried it for show. You didn't shoot him? No way, Clay said, sighing loudly. No way. That means... Pam started, closing her eyes, trying to think. That means someone else killed the guard, Clay finished her sentence for her. And someone else took the money. Clay, we've got to go to the police. We're not murderers. We didn't take anything. We've got to tell them the truth, Pam pleaded. Clay didn't reply for a long moment. Then he said, Pam, no one would believe us.